This show is brought to you by Stifle Marson, advertising, marketing, and design. A full-service agency specializing in manufacturing and industry. Branding, web development, SEO, brochures, PR, and more. Learn more at wegetmfg.com. You are listening to Manufacturing Revival Radio. Spotlighting the innovation, the business savvy, and the entrepreneurial spirit of manufacturers from here at home and around the world. Celebrate the can-do spirit that is bringing manufacturing back. And now, here are your hosts, Todd Schnick and Todd Youngblood. Good morning and welcome back to Manufacturing Revival Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Todd Youngblood. Todd, strangely enough, I have been really looking forward to talking about this company we're going to feature today. I, I am too, because I think we might do a little myth busting today. I think we will. I, uh, I, uh, I agree with that. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Uh, but Todd, before we do that, a quick shout out to the sponsor of today's show, the Georgia Association of Manufacturers. I so support and appreciate the work they're doing on behalf of their members. Yeah, I do too. And Roy Bowen and the rest of that group over there are just doing terrific work. Yeah, they're advocating uh, for their members. It's great stuff. All right. Well, we have a great show today. Say hello to our guest. His name is Werner Bieri. He is the president and CEO of Bueller Quality Yarns. Welcome to the show, Werner. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Oh, it's good to have you. Thanks for joining us. Werner, before we dive into Bueller, why don't you take a few seconds and just tell us a little bit about you and your background. I grew up in Switzerland, spent the first part of my life there. Actually, did all my school education in Switzerland, and I joined Hermann Bueller of Switzerland, our parent company, in 1984. Then I was starting to explore markets for the company outside Europe, mainly starting in Japan, Hong Kong, and the United States. And in 1994, the board decided to set up a spinning operation in the U.S., which I was tasked with to explore facilities, etc., and that's the way I ended up here in Jefferson, Georgia. So you went from Switzerland to Jefferson, Georgia. Quite a transition. Uh, Warner, go deeper on Bueller Quality Arms. Tell us about the organization. Tell us how you're serving your market. Well, we've been established in October 95 in uh, Georgia and started the operation of the refurbishing. We bought an existing uh, facility in Jefferson. After refurbishing that with uh, new equipment, part infrastructure, we started actually producing here in July of 1996. Our customer base at that time was primarily where the big weaving companies, Philcrest, Canon, were the ones which still remember that, which then later became Pilotex Corporation before they went out of business, West Point Stevens, and Springs Industries. We had some a few knitting customers, but they were small. And so we really served the weaving market in the southeastern United States, mainly the home furnishing markets, meaning 
Sheeting was our biggest item what we made yarn for and the towels. And the business started out really well. It went well. So we decided to double the operation in 1998. And at the time when the expansion came online, production went out, the U.S. textile industry started to crumble. Meaning our customers, one by one, started by Pilotex Corporation, Springs Industries, and West Point Stevens closed many of their plants, basically all their operations at the end in this country. And uh, there we were, having been set up to serve this market here, which disappeared. So... We had some uh, very rough years uh, early in 2000 because we kind of had to reorient the whole business model. Having our customers gone, we started looking at the knitting and started also exporting because at that time, CBI, uh, which was the precursor to CAFTA, came to in existence. And so in a few years, the company transitioned from being a supplier to domestic weavers as being a supplier to the knitting fashion apparel industry. So from home textiles, which uh, really has no season, we became an operation uh, which was geared to supply very seasonal fashion apparel because we always used only the best cotton, which is grown out in California. It's a extra long staple fiber under the brand name Supima. We also had to start exporting and that's where my background from Switzerland has helped a lot as having been used to uh, look into new markets. So we finally ended up about shipping roughly half of our production to Central and South America and a little bit to the other parts of the world as well, Asia. And we, uh, the other 50%, almost everything of the domestic market is now in, for us in LA, in California. There is hardly anything left here in the Southeast. We still have a few, but they're very small customers. The one larger one we had, for us larger, was Fested USA, which unfortunately ceased operation last year in, I believe, September or October. So with that being said, today we are half export, half domestic, mainly in California, but we are still here in Jefferson, Georgia. Warner, to a significant extent, you answered the question that I had really burning in my head is that the conventional wisdom says fiber, yarn, textile business in Georgia is gone and you can't make any money doing that. And you talked about changing your market from textiles to the fashion industry and, and half the business now export. I, I'm really curious, what, what did it take internally to change the business from towels and kind of everyday textiles into, into high fashion? That sounds like a dramatic cultural change. It is, of course, uh, always keep in mind, we are only making the yarn. So, uh, and we, we don't do any specialty yarns, uh, like dyed, etc. All our yarns are, it's just a mechanical process where we feed fiber in 
on one end of the mill and it goes through a stepped process and comes out as yarn, still uh, in natural color, no chemicals added, no dyes, etc. But what we had, we were a lot finer. Our count range at that time was an average count probably of 60s, uh, between 60 and 70, because we made a lot of yarn for the weaving industry, which was like 75s, 80s, 110s, 90s, and now we are more on uh, what we call the coarser. The, the industry wouldn't call that coarse, but we call it coarser. Our core range now is basically 30s to 80s, with the average count being somewhere around a 40s. So that has entailed a adoption of equipment in part because in spinning in the front end, you are what we call you produce pounds and on the ring spinning machine, you basically have spindle hours. So when you go that course, that means your front end is too small, has not enough capacity when you suddenly drop your count by like from a 60s to a 40s. So we had on one side, we had to adapt part of our operation, adding capacity on the front end. And when you talk about a cultural change, I would say what our people had to understand and to learn was the constant change. While we before, we ran, as I said, not a seasonal item, but a year-round item. So they were really operators just keep the machines going at that time. Once they were set up, what now what happened in use uh, service, the uh, fashion industry, you are constantly changing equipment over from one count to another, from one blank to another. And that's something I didn't mention before. In, nine, no, in 2006, we introduced, besides the Supima cotton fiber, a man-made fiber called micro model which is made by lensing in austria they are a global player in that field and what it is other than regular viscous rayon this is a high weight modulus meaning the fiber is a lot stronger uh, garments can be washed and what we did also at that time introducing a blend between that micro model fiber and the Supima cotton to have the best of both. But so that entailed a lot of adoption from production personnel because as I mentioned, there is now the change is a daily life where before it almost didn't happen. And so you have issues with mix up. People have to understand that. And it took a couple, three years, I would say, for people to adapt to this new environment, to the challenges which it poses, which are, uh, while we had a very simple operation before, it became a very complex operation. Now, that's on the production side. We also had changes then uh, because before uh, we really didn't need a 
sales actively a sales force to go out and explain to people because all what we did was basically those big weavers and they just uh, was year in year out it was the same item you only had occasionally you make contracts they usually would be for at least a quarter sometimes even for half a year or a year so you really didn't have to bother too much with beating the bushes out there and what happened with uh, once you are in the fashion industry, we you have to look for new customers. You have to look for customers which have the capability of serving the latest trends in the fashion industry. You have, uh, we added the technical support in the dyeing and finishing, which is unusual for a spinner normally because it's really not our business. But we learned if we want to sell our yarns, then a lot of those, our customers were not really up to the task on wet processing, dyeing finishing side, sometimes even knitting side for those high-end yarns. That's um, the uh, difference to a commodity product, which is a just a regular cotton yarn in the 20s and 30s, or it is a polyester, polycotton yarn, or a viscose yarn. So this yarn, which we make from the specialty fiber, uh, Supima on the cotton side, and by the way, the extra long staple cotton is roughly two to three percent of the total U.S. cotton crop. It's a very niche product, and worldwide it's roughly the same. There you have some producers like in Egypt, they do not only, but they do some extra long staple. They also do regular upland. A lot of people don't know that. And you have in China a significant extra long staple cotton production. But again, it amounts to about 2 to 3%. So it is a specialty fiber. The micro model is a specialty fiber as well. We don't process regular model. That's more, it's not a real commodity, but it's more on the commodity side. The micro fiber, the version of it is a specialty and it needs a special treatment. So there is, uh, there were adaptions needed for that transition on the production side to a smaller extent in equipment to a larger extent in just the mindset of the people who operate those machines and needed to retrain them to basically be more flexible and then on the sales side as well and sales support, which was something before we didn't have. So. That were the challenges in early 2000s uh, to the mid 2000s. And I think we've have struggled at that time, of course, and but we adapted finally reasonably well. All right. We'll be back with Warner Bieri after this short commercial break. The Georgia Association of Manufacturers represents Georgia manufacturers in legislative, regulatory, and public relations matters. Founded in 1900, GAM also provides seminars, services, and guidance to manufacturers on a wide range of issues, including human resources, workforce development, public utility rates and energy, safety and health, employee benefits, environmental quality, and taxation. Active membership in GAM is open to all businesses in Georgia, that are engaged in manufacturing. Learn more at ga 
mfg.org. That's G-A-M-F-G.org. Well, Warner, I, you know, when you think about yarn, you don't think about it being an industry where you could be innovative. But I mean, I'm just swimming with this knowledge that you just shared. I mean, there really is a spirit and a constant focus on new innovations all the time. Yes, absolutely. There is, you know, and a lot of times it's innovation, which, as you rightfully mentioned, you know, you thought, well, yarn is a yarn. Yes, but. You can engineer a yarn uh, to fulfill a certain or help support certain properties in the final product. And so from that perspective, yeah, that has added a lot of innovation to our team. And uh, we, a lot of times, innovation is done together with our customer. They come up with an idea and or maybe their customer they come to us and say, okay, how can we do that? What can you do to help us in the construction of the yarn, which then translates in the fabric and in the apparel? So certainly has become a lot more, a lot more an innovative process, but it also has become a lot more collaboration with our customers and with their customers, basically. Warner, the notion of minimizing the number of suppliers that a manufacturer has is something that's been around for a very long time. My understanding is that you have just a single cotton supplier, and I'm just curious about that. How do you mitigate the risk associated with just having that one supplier for such a key raw material? We do work exclusively with the JG Boswell company in California since many years. The reason being that we found that if we buy from merchants, we then they buy from different gins, from different, which then they have different gins, they have maybe a multiple number of farmers, which they buy the cotton fiber from the fields. We found in our segment where we are so specialized and so high end that we have better consistency in our product because we get consistency from the fiber supply. Now you're talking about how do you mitigate the risk? Our supplier, the JG Boswell company in Corcoran, California, San Joaquin Valley, where they farm, that's, it's a very large operation. They are by far the largest producer of this American Pima cotton. They produce in any given year somewhere between 20 to 30 percent of the total crop. And so in itself, of course, just using Pima, which is really mainly, not exclusively, but mainly grown probably to 95% at least in California, San Joaquin Valley. It's in itself a risk, whether uh, you have now there one large supplier or you have multiples, it's geographically, if the valley is hit with, God forbid, some disease or whatever, then doesn't really matter a whole lot whether you have one supplier or you have three and they, uh, those three, they're all located there. There is a little bit produced in Arizona and there is a little bit produced in uh, the El Paso area, but that's insignificant. So there is a certain risk and we were, I would say, fortunate since I'm in the industry 
there was always enough supply. Of course, there were years where it was very tight. Uh, the prices uh, shut up. The recent uh, history, I think it's three years when we had a run up in fiber prices, cotton mainly, and that also affected Pima, of course, so not in a big way. But you also have, I think that's one risk which we are willing to take. And what we do, I mean, we do long-term contracts on the fiber side, our supplier knows that, and it's a partnership. It's not just a seller and the buyer, but it's a partnership. They tell us what they intend to plan in the coming year, etc., etc. In addition to that, they have two regions. One of them is more in the north of the valley, and the other one is more in the middle of the valley. So from that perspective, there is a certain mitigation of risk as well. But I want to tell you that, you know, you brought this up about risk mitigation. Now, you have on the other side of your operation, on the sales side, you also want to diversify your customers. But as you know, there has been a lot of consolidation going on in the retail business. And so while you always try to diversify your customer base. You have another larger trend in the economy, which kind of makes that harder and harder because there are less and less suppliers. Because at the end, when retailers had maybe, I don't know, 50 suppliers or 100, now maybe they have 20. And that's a risk on the other side. In addition to that, people feel that if they export then that's a risk mitigation. But we have to understand that most, almost all textiles, yarns, fabrics, which are exported from the United States, they come back to the U.S. market in the form of garments. So while, yes, it looks good on paper, you are exporting, so you are not subject to uh, basically one market or one risk. Since everything ends up back here for the U.S. consumer, we can export if the U.S. market sputters, the brands and retailers don't do well here. Our customers, whether they are now located in Central America or in South America, or they are even located in Asia, they're also having a hard time because at the end of the day, it's the U.S. market. As you know, there is the other large market is the European Union, and they don't do too well either. So this risk mitigation, sometimes people get the wrong impression and they think you have a good portfolio if you ship all around the world. But at the end, if the U.S. market gets a cold, then we are participating in that as well, regardless of where we ship our product. All right. Well, Werner, we're about out of time, but one last quick question. Beeler Quality Yarns is a member of the Georgia Association of Manufacturers. Why does an organization like yours belong to an association like that? What benefits does it bring you? I think the association has done a lot for its members. As you mentioned, it's for the manufacturers. It used to be at one time textiles and it expanded and includes now all manufacturing in Georgia. They are taking part in the legislative process. They are 
helping us in negotiations on uh, with our power supply, Georgia Power or whoever that is, with the Public Service Commission to represent the interest of the manufacturers. Their big achievement just last year, as an example, was the uh, elimination, stepwise elimination of sales tax on energy used in manufacturing, which for us is electricity. And that's a huge portion. And uh, that puts us more on par and keeps us competitive with other states which have that already, which don't have to pay the sales tax for energy they use in the manufacturing process. So one side of being a member of the association is to have the association looking out for the interests which relates to production, being it energy, being it sales tax, for instance, on spare parts and machinery, etc. And then the other part, of course, is influencing, helping shape policies with respect to the labor force. Make sure that Georgia remains competitive as an employer uh, with respect to neighboring states all around us, Alabama, etc., Tennessee, North South Carolina. So I think the organization is very, very effective in supporting the manufacturing industry in Georgia and making sure that the various aspects of manufacturing remain competitive and with that, being able to create, maintain and create jobs for uh, Georgia. Outstanding. Well, Werner, I hate to say it. It's been a real joy. I uh, uh, We're out of time. Before we let you go, how can people get in touch with you and where can they learn more about Bueller Quality Yarns? Well, as a start, we have a website, www.buellerryarns.com. That has contains a lot of information about us and our products. And we also have Facebook. We are on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, so we use social media to, to stay in contact. And at the end of the day, we also still have our good old telephone. <laughs> That's hardly news anymore. I mean, what we do today, I can tell you it's mainly email and then the social medias, as I, as I mentioned. So there are numerous ways people can stay in contact and can uh, get in touch with us. All right. Werner Bieri, the president and CEO of Bueller Quality Irons. My friend, it was great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure. All right. Having me. All right. Well, that wraps this episode. On behalf of today's guest, Werner Bieri, my co-host, Todd Youngblood, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on Manufacturing Revival Radio. (laughs) 